0: Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy!
1: How, how are you doing tonight? So, um, this is for free. It has nothing to do with the theme. It's just just some free advice. So, um, this is for the, the young gentleman in the room. So, one of my first youth retreats I ever was on, I was just exposed to this amazing thing called the Jesus movement, and I, you know, it, was, it was new to me. It was not something that I grew up in and around, and so I was like, you know, matter of fact, when I came into the Jesus movement, um, I was actually like in the parking lot of the church smoking pot, um, because that's what I did there, because my cousin Jay always had good pot, and so I went to see him, and, and anyways, this guy pulls up in this VW van, and it had like a purple bottom and a white top with tie-dyed curtains, and I'm kind of hiding in the church parking lot, like in these pine trees, because I'm really clever. I'm hiding. No one can see us, because there's trees. And, and this guy walks up, and in this, this, I mean, it's like the most hippie van I've ever seen in my life, and out stepped Jesus Christ. Now, I know you, you think that I'm kidding, but this guy had a beard and long hair and these, like, striking blue eyes and it was the face of love itself, and he was wearing like a poncho. And I was like, it's Jesus. He's coming. And so this is what I instinctively did as Jesus approached me. And he came out of a VW van, and he approached me. I instinctively handed him the marijuana that I was smoking. And, and I said, this is, this, is, this is a true story. I know you don't believe things like this, because preachers talk like this, and it's not the business. Someone told me once that when I was going to be a preacher, he said, God will give you the most interesting life, because he hates boring preachers. And it's just true. So I I reached to him, and I said, Jesus, do you want to (laughs) smoke? And this is what Jesus said, and I'm not even kidding. Jesus said, my name is Brock. <laughs> and then I realized it wasn't Jesus. I don't know if it was the drugs. And this is what Jesus, and I, so I still don't know if it was the drugs or not. I might be a follower of Jesus still today because of drugs. I'm not sure. But don't do drugs. It's, it's not the right path. He, he, he said this, you don't have anything I need. but I know what you need. Come with me. And that's the, that is the stupidest, cheesiest line. It worked 100% on me. I can't tell you why it worked so well, but it just worked. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he said, follow me. And so we, I went inside the church, and they were having a church service like this. So just imagine for a second that like Jesus in a drug rug walks in with another little pothead kid. And it's like, Pastor, you got to stop your sermon. This, this guy needs to give his life to Jesus. And the pastor was like, okay, bring him up. And so they walked to the front, Brock and I, and we sit. And he had everybody in the room stand up and come around me. And they all put their hands either on me or towards me. And they prayed for me. And I, I, it was it. I'm telling you, it was, it was it. It was like I finally found what I was looking for my whole life. And it just, I never stopped. I mean, I just was this trajectory that I've been on ever since. And I don't, I can't tell you uh, that it's always been like, you know, cake to figure this whole religion thing out. But I can tell you that it's always been life and love. And, and this is what I want to tell you. This is the bonus. In that group of people that prayed for me on that fateful day was this really beautiful blonde girl. Now, I want you to understand, I was like a 13-year-old had no business, I mean, I was just, I was awful. I was this arrogant kind of punk kid who was smoking pot in the church party It was just terrible. And this like angel of heaven was there with this like radiant blonde hair and these beautiful blue eyes. And I remember looking at her and thinking, oh God, I'm uncomfortable with how pretty she is. Okay, in the same spot where I gave my life to Christ in that little church, I eventually married that blonde girl. In the same spot. So this is what I want to tell you. Listen. Gentlemen, I just you're going to be tempted to do all kinds of silly and goofy things this weekend. Don't. Okay? Knock all that off. Because your 30-year-old self wishes he could come back in time and slap the stupid out of you. Okay? Because she's watching right now. Now, you think she's out of your league, but you just haven't learned how to pray and fast correctly yet. And when you do, all of a sudden, she's going to lower her standards to find you acceptable. Okay, you just don't know if she's here. I'm just telling you that. Just She's watching. Okay, she's watching. Live like she's watching this weekend because she could be here. Um, I, now, I don't know that she's here. Some of you are looking around the room like right now, like trying to find her. Stop. That's the kind of stupid your 30-year-old self wants to slap out of you, okay? He doesn't want you to do that. That's not, okay. This, This question made for this, this is a statement, a question. I'm not sure there's an arrow. There's no punctuation. It's intimidating because you come into the Jesus movement, everybody's talking about your destiny and your purpose and all that stuff, and you figure out like, oh my gosh, that sounds so crazy. Like, What if I miss it? Like, what if I'm like, my destiny is to be a teacher, and then you get in front of kids, and you realize you hate children. Like, they're the worst. You know what's so bad? I have children now. I don't like their smell. When they were babies, I used to hold these things, and I'd be like, babies smell like a mixture of magic and unicorn. I mean, they just are these wonderful little things. I just want to smell their heads. They're so great. And then they grow up to be like fourth graders, and you're like, what the heck is that? Like, go take a shower. I'm arguing with my kids about daily showers. I don't understand why I have to argue with children about showering daily. It makes no sense to me at all, but that's what you have to do. What if you think you're supposed to be a teacher and you don't like children's smell? Okay, What what if you think this is, you know, listen, when I was in seminary studying to be a pastor, I was pretty sure some of those people missed their call because I'd sit in these like, preaching classes, and these people would you know, try out their messages on the class, and everybody, they're all just being good Christians. Let me tell you one of the most uncomfortable things in the whole world. You're in a homiletics class listening to people who can't preach, and no one gives them any feedback. Like, that they, they, was just terrible. I mean, can you think of something more evil than a bad preacher? I just want, I just hang on a second now. Listen to me. Can you think of anything more inspired by hell than a boring preacher? Well, Satan. Someone said, Satan. Thank you. Gold star in the front row. That would be worse. Yes. But like, and then they finish and it's this terrible thing, and everyone's like, well, how was that? They're like, well, praise the Lord, brother. That was really good. Or, sister, that was really encouraging. And I want to be like, no, it wasn't. You should never preach again. That was terrible. I I was on my, I was playing Candy Crush the entire time just to stay awake. I don't I don't. I, you had like 15 points and 14 sub points. I still can't figure out what your point was. I don't know what's going on. But you know it's like an American Idol audition. Some people just got to be told no. Like you missed your calling. Now they don't do that because we're being nice. And this whole thing, like, what if there's destiny and then we end up in this thing where it's like, you know, you know what? Very few people feel a calling. To, to certain professions, but they're very necessary professions. We have this disconnect in our lives where we, we think about, like, we have this false dichotomy. We have to choose between meaning and money. And it's like, well, if, I don't, if, I, if I'm going to work for an NGO and do something that matters or I'm going to go make money, and it's like, well, hang on a second. Why, why do we have this dichotomy there? And then here's the real truth of, of the made for this thing. We get stuck sometimes somewhere in between our purpose and the presence of God. We get stuck somewhere in between what we do and who we are, and those two things are not the same. Ultimately, your destiny, I don't know how much that matters. I was talking to a young man on the way up here. He's got you know, choices to make about college, and he's like, well, I got into this school, and I got into that school, and I'm not sure what school I should go to, and I wanted to say, you know what doesn't matter? What school you go to? Can I, just, I know you've been told your whole life like you got to make the grade, you got to get in the colleges, competition, this whole thing. It doesn't matter, trade school, college, no school. It, it really doesn't matter. Go be alive. Go live. Go go be connected with God. Treat people with love and justice. You will find your way in this world. Take the pressure off yourself a little bit, and don't tell your parents I told you you don't need to go to college because I'll lie and tell them I didn't. Okay? Your parents are there? Your parents are here? Uh, Then don't try and lie to your parents. I would never tell you to lie to your parents. Sorry, mom. (laughs) But this girl thought I told her to lie to her parents. You didn't hear that over here. Anyway, don't listen to me. Listen, uh, we are made. (laughs) See what I just did? we are made, we are made for him. We are made for him. Uh, Jesus did not say that the the, the search for identity and purpose and belonging and meaning ended in the Christian religion. Jesus said it ended in him as a person, in a relationship. It ended with him. He is what you're looking for. Uh, Listen to how this is in Colossians. For in him, all things were created. This thing is like strangling me, and I'm going to kill it. Last time this microphone did this to me, and it, there, I think I hooked it on this other thing up here. Am I doing this right, Jake? I need some duct tape on the back of my head. There you go. This guy over here is like, oh, another boring sermon. Okay, listen, this is God's word, so pay attention. For in him, All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, say all things, things. everything, there is not one, you don't need to say that part, there is not one thing in all creation that Jesus does not claim lordship over. Hear me on this. Everything is being redeemed. Everything in our story, everything in the human experience, all things have been broken because of sin. And how much more are they being redeemed because of the power and grace and love and obedience of Christ? That's what this book of Colossians is all about. It's it's about this amazing cosmic impact of the cross of Christ on the human story. All things... The entire human experience, all of it, everything in this universe has been created, listen, through Him and for Him. He's Lord of everything. We have this beautiful suggestion in the beginning of the Bible, this beautiful confession, this idea that male and female, human beings, men and women were created in the very image of God. We were created to reflect the essence of our creator, that that we have the fingerprints of God on us, that in some way he is an artist at work as he shaped us, that, that God has left upon us himself, To be revealed to the world that we function like, like a mirror that shines forth the glory of God into the world. That people will look at your face and your story and hear your voice and gaze into your eyes. And they will see something unique about God they can't see anywhere else. I think sometimes we make this whole faith thing so complicated, and there are so many of you here, I don't know your whole story, but I know this about you. You want to be close to God. You, you, you are hungry spiritually. You would love to have the, the, these, these ultimate questions of significance and identity and autonomy and belonging answered. You, you, you want to know why you're here. You're asking, what is this about? And if you're not asking those now, you will at some point ask those questions. And sometimes the answers, they become so elusive. This thing that we call faith, it gets so complicated. And there's nine churches here. You have nine different ways of expressing faith. Some churches have rules. Some people, I mean, some of you guys, they're doing all this dance spot stuff. And at your church, you dance not. Let's be real, you know? You ever been to those churches, they dance not? You know, we just, we, we clap not at our church. It was, I grew up in a church that had a whole lot of knots. It was like, we don't play cards unless it's rook. Like you can play Uno, but you can't play with playing cards. And I was like, why? And they were like, well, no one knows. It's just a rule. It's just, it's written. It's just, we, we have no idea. We keep rules around long after the reason for those rules have long evaporated. And it burdens our religious identity with all these complications. So here's what I want to do. I want to roll back the sands of time. I want to go back to this prototypical picture of what it looks like for God to initiate relationship with human beings. Now, we know and you know that God did this perfectly in the person of Jesus because I told you that already, but I want to go even further back. Because I think there's something here in the very beginning when God initiates the conversation again with humanity that's become estranged from him, that's become lost from him. The people that he longs to connect with, I don't think God is hiding. I think he wants to be known. And so I think even though sin fractured our story and there was a cosmic rupturing of the human experience because of our rebellion against God and our choice to choose independence against his dependence and, and we, we, we push him away, God enters the stage of human history again and he crosses time and space and he finds this man from Ur of the Chaldeans a wandering aramean named Abraham and he starts a covenant new with him and out of Abraham we find monotheism grows from the tree of that root this is remarkable so listen now pay attention What we're asking here is not your favorite song you did in kids' church or Sunday school about many sons, and many sons is Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and punch your neighbor, do the motions. You guys remember that game? It was a great game. I was in the parking lot during that game, but anyway. Um, Okay, listen. The Lord said to Abram, he's not even Abraham yet. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. And this is where we get hung up because it starts with this idea of the land and there's some promises here. But don't miss this. There's something we can't afford to miss about God and what we were made for in this text. And so I want you to listen. What's the point? What's this really about? Go. Go to this land. I'll show you that. And this is what he says. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Now, first little lesson. This, when you see this in your Bible, do you see how this looks different? You see how there's like this prose on top and there's this weird indentation on bottom. That is the Bible translator's way of telling you, pay attention, this is poetry. This is different. This is called parallelism. You can say that because that sounds cool and you'll sound smart. Parallelism. You are so intellectual. You guys are so, you guys are college educated, aren't you? Wow, okay, Paral- so, this, is, this means that that second line is defining that first line, and those two things together make the meaning. This is a doublet, that you can't have one without the other. It's not just a list, that these things are related. So I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now follow me on this, this is so critically important. Because there's a promise, and then there's a purpose. There's something that God wants to do. He's created you for something. He's created you on purpose, but he's created you also for a purpose. And we sometimes get these two things mixed up or we put them out of order. And I think that this is so critically important for us to get. This is so beautiful. We can learn something awesome about God the Father in this passage. I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you. Whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This, this should blow you away. This should blow you away. We have nothing like this in all of the study of ancient religion. There is nothing like this where a God doesn't say, come up to me, climb the ladder, come to where I am, but the God himself initiates relationship and the relationship looks like this. I chose you before the foundation of the world. I chose you to be my prized possession, to breathe life into you, to restore you and redeem you, to cherish you, to take, to take pleasure in watching you thrive, to, to direct the course of your story toward flourishing because as I bless you, as I shine my light upon you, I believe that light, will overflow out of you into the world around you, and I will bless all the people on this earth. God has a plan to restore everything that is broken, to take all that is jacked up and messed up and garbage and broken and and ugly about the human condition and to restore it, to redeem it, to to lift it out of the mud and clean it off and, and breathe new life into it. And he wants to do that. He does it first through Christ and he wants to then overflow that reality through you. All things were made through him and for him. He will bless you, and through blessing you, he hopes you will bless everybody else. The promise and the purpose. Let's just dive right in. This is just so cool. I believe, number one, if you're taking notes, I believe you were made on purpose. I believe you were made on purpose. I believe that God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. I believe that in a unique way, not in a generic way, not like because he loves everybody, but like you, actually you. We have we have so many problems believing this really. I think somewhere along the way your generation got so tired of everybody telling you how special you were and you began to doubt the authenticity of that statement. And so I think that now when I say things like, I believe God made you on purpose, you hear like the coach who gave you a participation trophy, but you were actually crappy at soccer. You know what I'm talking about? You know, how many of you, when you take a test at school, you can retake the test as many times as you want to take it until you can pass it? Okay, that's what's breaking America right there, folks. That's it. That, that, that is the problem. You know, like, I'm like, what? Wait, wait, hang on. I just, I, I, I literally, I had a guy... I paid this guy thousands of dollars to finish our our new brand new church plants website. Okay, it's not done. I'm like, wait, wait, what's going on, man? Little millennial artist kid. Come on, like, give me the website. You told me, and he kept saying, Friday, it'll be Friday, it'll be Friday. Three weeks in no, he told me Friday. That's three weeks late. And so I called this boss, and I'm like, hey, millennial buddy here didn't deliver three weeks late on this project. Like, what's going on paying him? Oh, aren't you a pastor? You should be nice about that. So the reason he's three weeks late is people were too nice to him. I had people in seminary like that; they were bad at preaching. You guys are gonna think, man, he's so mean. I'm really not. But I, you know, this is what he told me. I'm not even making this up. He said, "I learned some valuable lessons about time management on this project. On my dollar." It's not even, the worst part is, you're working for a church, man. That's God's money. Like, people gave their money to, I got to go steward this well. Like, I can't, I got to fire you. Like, you can't do that. Take the test as many times as you need to. So now I tell you, like, really, from Scripture, God made you on purpose. He delights in you, He finds you exceptional, He's uniquely gifted you. And he takes pleasure in you. And you don't believe me. Because you're like, "Yeah, you're blowing smoke, man. How How can that be true? I think something's so broken in our concept of God, and we end up approaching him as if he's unapproachable. We hold him away, and then we wonder why he's far. We wonder why he's distant. Listen, God delights in you. He adores you. Paul talks about the way that that you are God's masterpiece. You're his his workmanship. You're you're the project he just can't wait to work on. That that What God does, like an artist at work, is he takes broken things and he makes them beautiful. He finds the trash of your life and he turns it into treasure. It's just what he does so remarkably well. And, And he wants to do this. He loves to do it. I think sometimes we think that God is like, you know, He, he like loves us but kind of cause He has to, like in a begrudging way. Listen to how the Proverbs says this. Now, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as um, she's she's like this wife of noble character. She's like this beautiful woman, okay? And so wisdom often speaks up, you know, as this like you know, kind of counterpart to God. And and folly this sort of godless thing is personified in the book of proverbs as like this like you know trashy like not a good bride and so you can you can swap the gender on that that doesn't matter like but but what does matter here is this idea and i think what we have here in proverbs 8 when when wisdom speaks in this moment i don't think this is lady wisdom personified i actually think and i think this because of the first chapter of john i think we have this moment here where like Colossians we just read, this is, this is like Jesus. This is Jesus talking about, he, this, is, this is the wisdom, the logos, the, the wisdom of Christ. And listen to what he says. And just get this picture. It's kind of poetic, but I think you'll like it. He said, back then, and he means then at creation. He's talking about this big creation hymn. Then at creation, I was the craftsman. Uh, That word elsewhere gets translated artisan. An artisan. He's an artist. Back then at creation, I was the artist at his side. So this is someone standing next to the creator, looking at creation. Get this picture, this is so cool. I was filled with delight. Say sha'ashuim. Just say it. Sha'ashuim. It's a Hebrew word. It means means delight. Um, I think this is a good word. Another word for this would be satisfaction. This is this, you know, you ever have that thing where you just have finished a project and you're so content, you're so satisfied in this. You just sort of are like, right? When you do the next time, you can go, okay? It's like, man, I just did it. That's what this is. This is this like breathe out contented, like, oh, you know, like Christmas morning, right? This is good. This is a good thing. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing, rejoicing, say, Mahasaket, Mahasaket. Okay, this is a powerful word. Now, in some translations of the Bible, they used to translate this word as laughter, And this is why the NIV translators put rejoicing here. Because they thought people, this is what they thought, people would think it was like God was laughing at you. But in actuality, he's laughing with you. He's delighting in you. You with me here? The same word, Mahasaket. You know, when David dances in the streets and disrobes before the Ark of the Covenant, That's the word. It said that David danced with all his might, Mahasaket. It's like this union suit robot, right? This is so good. Now, you guys, it's been a while since you were children, and you forgot what it's like to have sheer delight in something ordinary. And so, uh, Aubrey, do we have this? Okay, we're good. This is this is so. This is my son, and I just here's what I want you to hear about my son, just quickly. My son has had about the worst year any little child could ever have. Uh, the, the last twelve months of his life have been utter hell. Um, he was exposed to a toxic chemical, and it almost killed him. And so now everything my son does, my wife and I look at him and we're just, we delight in him because he's back. He's, he's, he's healed. He's restored. Things are good again. And now he does things like, you know, little five-year-old kids do. And so he had his friend Beatrix over and um, these, these two little kids, now they're going to show us what God looks like here when he works with you, when he blesses you, when he thinks about you he experiences satisfaction and delight and he laughs he laughs like this uncontrollable laughter that only a child can understand that only only a being with unbridled joy can experience because you're you're worried about being cool and you know what five-year-olds don't care about being cool so they have a moment here of uh, Mahasaket and Shashuim because of uh, the, the word juicy. I don't know why that's so funny, but you're not five, okay? And the word juicy to them is the funniest thing ever. So just watch this. This is just fun. you juicy. <laughs> got this? Now listen to me, listen to me. What if you got this? What if you stopped approaching God as a stern, disappointed father who's upset with the choices that you made last weekend? What if you stopped approaching God as like, I'm pretty sure God looks at my story and he's a little bit disappointed with me right now because I've kind of mucked it up a little bit. What if instead God sees not just your problems, but your potential? He sees not just who you are, but who you could be with his help. What if when he looks at you, his heart towards you is not disappointment but it's delight, it's laughter, it's rejoicing, that he dances when he thinks about you, that he can't contain how much he loves you. Here's what I'm telling you. If you could get that understanding of the love of God, not in your head, but in your heart, in your core, it would create in you a fortress, a strong tower. You would be so firmly rooted that no temptation could disrupt you, and no, no distraction could, could derail your story, that, 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 that no situation could actually stop you because all of a sudden you would go from this kind of insecure, wondering who you were, to somebody who knew that you were loved. And cherished and prized, that God looks at you and he smirks to himself, and he smiles, and he laughs, and he takes delight in you. I don't know your story, but for some of us, it's been a long time since you allowed someone to love you like that. You're not even sure what it means to love yourself like that. But your heavenly father, he sees all of it, the mess, the mistakes, all of it. And because he sees you through the sacrifice of his son, he takes great joy in you. I believe you were created on purpose to be blessed by God. And that blessing has nothing to do with, with financial prosperity. It has nothing to do with like, your situation or your job or your income. It has everything to do with a relationship with him. You were created to know him and to be known by him, to be seen and loved and to see and to love. I don't think God is hiding. I think God is reaching for you. I don't think God is running. I don't think he's, he's hard to find. I don't think he's hard to encounter. I think he is closing the gap between you and him and all you have to do is respond. I'm not making this up. This is the consistent message of scripture. It's all over the place that that, that Jesus crossed time, space and became a person that that God left eternity to walk into straw poverty and die the death that was owed to you because of your sin and that death couldn't even stop him and hold him back That, that the love he felt for you and the life he bought for you busted forth out of that grave and moved the stone aside so he could find you where you are and drive that love into your story with the redemptive force of utter transformation you can't even begin to understand how powerful this is until you taste it i believe you were created on purpose and number two i believe you were created for a purpose Now you got to put one before the other this is so important you you can't ever do your way into a who you got to settle the who first the who comes first and the do flows out of the who. You can't ever do your way into a who. You don't ever get to like climb enough or do enough or, or like or perform enough. It is not about your performance for God. It's about your presence. He wants you close. He wants you near. Because in all that stuff of religion, the prayer, the worship, all that stuff, that's just God's way of inviting you close. He just wants you near him. Because when you're near him, you'll find life. When you're near him, you will thrive. When you're near him, you will flourish. And when you thrive and when you flourish, all of a sudden, the whole point of this whole religion thing, the the reason that God wants to draw you close, the reason he delights in you is he wants to bless you so then you can go be a blessing. This is Kingdom of God 101, blessed to be a blessing that God wants to draw you near to himself and, and, and then he wants to, you to go draw others near to him. He wants to draw you, his child, near to his heart and then he says, go find my other kids. Paul talked about it like the ministry of reconciliation that God has entrusted. He, he, he did it through Christ but he's given it to us so we go as ambassadors of reconciliation out into the world and tell them, hey, like, listen, the siege is over. The distance is is bridged. It's there. There's hope invading the story of death. There's life for us now. So we unleash life into this world. You were made by God and you were made for God. God wants you now to join him in the project of making the world as it should be. He's up to something in our world. And he wants to use you to breathe and innovate and imagine and shape culture. He wants to, make, to use you to make the world into what it should be to bring heaven to earth. I think we get screwed up again because we have this kind of evacuation mindset. Like, okay, so I trust Jesus, I punch my ticket, and I'm out of here. And I don't see that in the teaching of Christ. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your will be done, your your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants the reign of God here. He wants, because you're blessed, you now become a blessing. Now you cannot do this the other way, I'm telling you. You can't just go rebuild the world because you don't have the resources to do it. You have too many limits You just won't ever get it done. But when you put the who first, when you understand that that you were made for relationship with him, that everything you're looking for, you will find in him, that that all the silly and dumb stuff you do is because you've not believed in the core of who you are, how prized you are, how precious you are. Uh, Man, we get this so wrong. Churches have been trying for 2,000 years to make rules produce righteousness. We'll just give them a bunch more rules. Let me tell you what you can't do, kids. It's never gonna work. It didn't work for the Pharisees. It won't work now. Relationship. It's different. It's a whole different thing. All of a sudden, now I know he loves me. (laughs) Like, really, really, I know I'm loved. All that stuff... All those people I thought I needed to impress, all that approval I thought I needed, all the, all the, all the things I thought I had to do, these false formulas for significance that we employ on a daily basis, like my performance plus other people's opinions equals, and maybe you multiply that by my Instagram followers and you have the, you know, divided by the square root of how many friends I have on Facebook and, and how many times, um, you know, my mother told me she loved me and my dad showed her to my soccer game or whatever it was, equals significance, That's not how that works. You find your significance in him, in him, and then we live it out as we bless others. It's an amazing thing that God promises that we can meet with him. It's an awesome thing to think that God chooses to have relationship with us, but the minute we forget that faith in this prototypical example, this very beginning of all this whole thing with Abraham, it starts with the promise But it flows to the purpose. You were created on purpose with great intentionality by a great artist for a purpose. So you could be unleashed in this world like an artist at work to build the world that Jesus imagined could be, to build the kind of place where there are no more bullies to punch in the mouth where injustice doesn't rob children of of the meals and the nutrition that they need, where there's no systematic poverty, where where all of these problems find their solution in the grace, beauty, love, and, and justice of our King. Where the longings of your heart to be close to your creator are finally answered in the person of Christ that gives us an unrestricted, untethered, unbelievable amount of access to the presence of our creator. He loves you. He delights in you. He laughs with joy when he thinks about the good he will weave into your story and the good you will weave into the story of this broken world. Let's pray. Master, we love who you are. Lord Jesus, we love who you are. God, we thank you for first loving us, for delighting in us, for choosing us. Let us be a blessing as you bless us, Lord. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode.